Dear Podcast listeners, thanks for tuning in. Max here. I just wanted to tell you that I recently got my real estate license in the state of Rhode Island. So if you're interested in buying or selling a house in the state of Rhode Island, please contact me at maxwillett.kw.com. That's M-A-X-W-I-L-L-E-T-T dot K-W dot com. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Stay hungry. Stay foolish. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I have a dream. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Hello and welcome back to the Knowledge is Power podcast. I'm your host, Max Willett, and we got another great guest on today. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be great. Hi, uh, my name is John Pacheco. I'm running for uh, state representative in District 36, uh, encompassing all of Charlestown, Block Island, and portions of Westerly and South Kingston. Um, it's uh, the seat that Blake Filippi held for so many years and did such a good job with, and I hope to... Uh, continue all his good works yes definitely so thank you for coming on uh and uh i guess we can get right into it so let's hear your life story and your background all right well i'm a lifelong rhode islander um i was born and bred in east providence rhode island uh graduated from east providence high school um went away to college the u.s merchant marine academy and came back met a woman um when we got married I moved. Uh, I was did not want to have to pay rent. You know, it was something mm-hmm. I just didn't. So I was trying to find a house that we could afford and move into, um, and I could qualify for a RIMFAC mortgage at the time, which was eight point nine percent. Oh know, wow! Right, yeah. <laughs> all by myself. Once yeah. I got married, we made too much money. So mm-hmm. we found a house up in Pasco, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. Boroughville. It was a little uh, bank-owned, old summer house on a lake. Um, we bought it and spent 30-some-odd years up there, raised our family. We have three kids, um, John, Anna, and Thomas. Um, while we were in Barville, I mean, I, I coached Little League. I coached girls softball. I was a uh, scoutmaster. I was a um, member of the finance committee at our church. I was on the Barville Budget Board. Um I was also on the Burville Town Council for the last eight years that I lived there, uh, the last six of which I was council president. Um, and then once the, you know, we had a beautiful house, nice little farm, kind of like a hobby farm up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, once the kids were all gone, I mean, it was a great place when the kids and their friends were around, but when it was just Mama and I, um, it was a lot of work. Yeah. And I don't know, we had an epiphany one couple of years ago now about this time of the year and we came down to look at a well it was actually three years ago now we came down to look at a house that was being built by a friend of mine down in charlestown and um i was like well, why don't we move down here you know what do we well, why what are we waiting for you know mm-hmm. so that's what we did we sold our house up there we moved down to charlestown we live off of king's factory road okay um so it's still kind of woody like uh, Barville. Yep. Um, but I'm only, you know, a f- few minutes to the beach or the shore. Absolutely. Um, and I love it. I couldn't be happier down here. Good. Well, yeah, 
Definitely a hidden gem in New England and Rhode Island, Charlestown. You know, I live there too, and it's a great town. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So uh, did you uh, ever go to college or anything like that? I graduated degree from uh, Providence College okay. in business administration. Very cool. Uh, so what made you want to go with uh, business administration? Um, well, it's, uh, I've always been pretty good with numbers. Yeah. I've always liked uh, you know, the business aspect mm -hmm. of things. And at the time, um, I was uh, like the assistant general manager for a building material company and had hopes of opening my own someday. So I thought that was probably the best route for me to take to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually I did. I owned a, a building material company down in Kingston for um, well, a total of about seven, well, it was seven years the first time and then almost three years the second time because um, I sold it and worked for the company and then somebody else bought it and I worked for them. Mm -hmm. And then um, I opened it again for myself. So, uh, yeah, um, it was always been pretty helpful. Um, Providence College was a lot of fun, too. Yeah. I mean, I went I went nights while I was working and married, okay. you know, so it was a continuing ed kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I really, um, my employer at the time, a guy by the name of Frank McGinn, um, agreed to pay for my classes wow. as long as I had a B or a higher grade. So, yep. you know, consequently, I took as many as I could as fast as I could. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. What do you think your, your favorite thing about PC was? My favorite thing about PC... Uh, let's see. I liked going to the hockey rink for hockey games. Yeah. It's very intimate. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like being at the Civic Center or the Dunk. Yeah. You know, or, or what is it now? It's something else now. Mika or something, something. Now, did you yeah. choose PC because it was so much closer than you or I or Rick or anything like that? Or is there something that... No. When I graduated from high school... Um, my intention was to go to West Point, and okay. I, had, you know, I'd had my nomination letters, and I had gotten accepted, and I had done all the physical and and whatnot that I had to do. Um, so my choices, what I wanted to do was either West Point, because I knew I needed a little discipline at that point in my life, um, or the University of Miami. Oh, really? Where I wanted to go play football. Okay. Um, in 1984 was when I graduated, mm -hmm. and that was the year that Doug Foody threw the miraculous pass on the field. And, you okay. know, it was I know stuff. nothing about that stuff. Yeah, so. it was really, it was really yeah. huge and really cool. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to go to Miami because Miami was huge, the U was huge, or um, Providence College. Mm -hmm. Those are my three. So um, <laughs> it was kind of funny what happened is um, the United States Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point, New York, is one of the five service academies run by the government. And uh, the football coach came up to my high school and was talking to my football coach and happened to mention me and another kid, a friend of mine, um, that might be uh, interested in that school. And because I'd already done all the work for West Point, it was, wasn't that much hot. I just needed a nomination to be able to get into Kings Point. So I went to Kings Point for three years. Mm -hmm. um, I was very interesting and a lot of fun. Yeah. Very cool. Well, very cool background. And, uh, well, actually, so what do you find was the most interesting thing within like the business administration? If you remember, like when you were at college, what classes did you find like the most interesting? You know, this is going to be funny. Um, not the business classes. Okay. 
because uh, it was Providence College. Yeah. Um, I think, and I still think about this. I took uh, I took some history classes, which I always enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's Providence College, you got to take a religious class. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had to take two. So I took um, a class in the Old Testament and loved the class and the professor so much. So did everybody. I mean, it was fascinating material. Yeah. Um, that the next semester I took the same professor in the class in the New Testament. So yeah. I would say those two classes, yeah. as crazy as that sounds. No, I don't think uh, that's was, crazy. That was probably you know the classes I remember the most. Yeah. That And I remember statistics being a real pain in the butt, <laughs> and I never enjoyed that class at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, like even if you don't consider yourself as a religious person, the Bible is just a fascinating story. Oh, absolutely. You know, like... It's such an undervalued story that everybody should get to know and learn. I mean, I wish I learned more about it and devoted myself a little bit more to that, to that book because it's just an amazing story. And there's so many lessons in it. Absolutely. You know? Like, it's funny. So I took a philosophy cat class at URI. Um, my second – was it my second – no. I think it was my second semester. And, uh, yeah, so my second semester at URI was when COVID hit. And our professor, he was a, you know, I, I hate to say typical philosopher, you know, philosopher at URI, but he was a really nice guy. I had no problems with him, but we had to write, like, a, um, you know, we had an assignment. We had to write an essay on, you know, mor- morality in, like, the 21st century or something like that. And I wrote how, you know, the Ten Commandments uh, literally are what basic morals are off of, and people don't even realize it. And how without that and without those Ten Commandments, people wouldn't have had those basic moral beliefs, and you slowly see some of those going away, you know, within society, you know, simple ones. And um, I thought I I really liked what I wrote. I don't know if I could find it, but I want to, you know, because... I mean, it was only two years ago, but I don't have, like, my URI email anymore. But I think that was, like, the, you know, I've never been a great writer, but I think it's one of the best things I've ever written. And I got, like, you know, like a B- minus on it, and uh, that's pretty good for me, you know, when it comes to writing assignments. But I really liked that. Well, um, the more you write, the better you get. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like with anything else, really, I think, you know. Um, but, yeah, so. I remember, too, you made me jog my memory a little yeah. bit. I remember taking a class in business ethics. Mm-hmm. And I remember the textbook um, had maybe 60 different professions in it. Uh, real true stories of you know, somebody that might be on a landscape company. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another story in there, somebody that was like a hobo. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, I remember that a lot of those stories, uh, people were doing a lot of end-arounds to hide money or wash money or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and I remember thinking, I'll never do that. Mm-hmm. And I never have. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, you know, if, if all I cared about was money, I'd have a shitload of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I never have. It's never been my thing. I'd always, even when I owned my company, I always wanted to deal with local people. I always wanted to make sure my bills got paid, and if it meant that, you know, I didn't have any money, that's what it meant. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I never hid any money. I always paid my taxes. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just I always feel like um, 
and I always said this too, I'm going to do the right thing whether it's good for me or not. I'm always going to do the right thing because I got to sleep at night too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think as a business owner, you know, sometimes you get people that are chasing, you know, to be a gazillionaire and get all this money. But for me, there's, there's nothing really better than having an impact on like where you grew up in your local community and helping people around you. I don't think it gets really any better than that. Correct. Sponsoring Little League baseball yeah, team. It sounds corny, but right. it's true. Like it's something where, you know, you can see what you're doing and see what you're helping. Right. You know, as a community. And that's sort of like, that's sort of like why, I mean, I started my business because I love, you know, and into additive manufacturing and 3D printing. And it's also a way where I think, you know, maybe in the future, once I build my business a little bit more, I can start giving back and helping the community more, you know, and this podcast, I think is a great way to get all these great people in our local area, um, you know, to tell their life stories, people that people would have never heard of otherwise, you know, people, even people, you know, you might not think it, but just to come on and talk about yourself, like everybody has a great story, in my opinion, everybody has, has a great, you know, individual life story. And I think everybody has advice to share it as well. Uh, you know, so giving back to the community, there's really nothing better than that, I think. No, I agree. And that's, um, and I feel like you're obligated to do mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And I think that that almost perfectly ties into, you know, District 36 and, and why you ended up, you know, to decide to run. So if we want to get into that, I think that'd be a great starting point. So what made you want to run for a state rep? Well, um, again, coming from Barville, I was uh, on the town council up there for eight years, council okay. president for six. Um, spent uh, probably, the, I bet it was uh, five of the years I was council president fighting a proposed power plant up there that would have, you know, yeah. sucked the state dry of water and mm -hmm. damaged this beautiful part of the state. And, mm -hmm. um and it was, uh, at times, it was very trying, um, but it was very satisfying to also not see that plant built. Mm -hmm. um, so when I moved down here, I really had no intention of uh, getting into politics at all. I went to a couple of council meetings in Charlestown, mm -hmm. um, found that to be uh, interesting as opposed to what I was used to, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, up in Boroughville, we all work together all the time. As a matter of fact, I'm a Republican, mm -hmm. and it was Democrats that nominated me to be the council president. Wow. It's not the highest vote getter like down here. You mm -hmm. get, you know, we reorganize every two years up there. Mm -hmm. So um, every two years for, you know, three terms, I had to get voted in, and they, you know, respected me enough to do it. Um, so uh, when I came down here, uh, things were going fine, and, I got a call from some friends of mine at the state house that you know that I know I've been up there a lot, mm -hmm. and um, asked me if I'd have lunch with Blake, and I said sure, you know, and so we did. And he had mentioned that he was thinking about not running um, for a lot of reasons, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of them are, I'm sure personal to him, um, and I wanted to know if I'd be interested. So I said uh, I thought about it for a little while, and I said I, I would. Um, however, I mean, I'm kind of like the new kid in town, you know, mm -hmm. I've only been here a couple of years per se. Mm -hmm. Um, if there's somebody down here in this district that's been, you know, eyeballing that seat, I'm not going to step on anybody's toes, uh, and I'm going to need the support of the people in the district. Mm -hmm. And so when we, when I broached that subject with the, uh, people in Charlestown, um, 
the support has been tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought that, because uh, Blake had told me he'd let me know, and I actually thought he um, changed his mind. You know? yeah. And I hadn't said anything to anybody because yeah. I told him I wouldn't. So uh, it was kind of funny the last night of the session. Um, I guess he announced that he was going to re- you know, retire and he was going to run again. And uh, I get up the next morning and my phone, I had like 15 different texts and mm-hmm. phone calls and voice messages from people saying, hey, this is your, you know, this is your spot if you want it. So um, thinking on it, I thought, yeah, why not? You know, uh, Blake did a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to help. You know, um, I think I'm pretty good at it. I mean, I come up with some creative uh, solutions over the years. Um, I can work with both sides of the aisle. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not there to uh, make myself rich. Um, I'm going to do the right thing, whether it's good for me or not. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I figure why not? I'll give it a shot. Um, I, I got the time, you know. My kids mm-hmm. are older and grown and out of the house now. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I think we need, in that building, I think we need more people that care about the people and mm-hmm. care about their own pocketbook, is, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's interesting, you know, Rhode Island has always had, like, this bad stigma about being corrupt and things like that, even if, you know, I don't think that's a controversial thing to say at all, unfortunately. No. You know, because... We have enough of politicians have been in jail over the years yeah it's and it's sad because it's such a great state it it really is it's It's small but it's a great state yeah i always figured i I still can't believe we can't do it It it's such a small state and such a great place that we this state should operate like a sports car on a racetrack yeah you know i mean there's something we feel the wind blowing the wrong way we should be able to shift gears and get going you know and be in front of that all the time instead mm-hmm. of behind it all the time mm-hmm. you know I mean, absolutely we you know the state runs like some big lumbering you know tank of a truck that can barely get over 10 miles an hour you know that's the way this state runs and it shouldn't be that way yeah yeah absolutely so i so i think the first thing first few questions i want to start off with is um i have some quotes uh and i think uh I want to get your response to them. And I think this first one perfectly sums up with what you were talking about earlier is politics is a calling, not a profession. Correct. So do you, would you like Correct. to expand I mean, that? Yeah, because, yeah. uh, you know, there's too many people up there that, um, well, here's a perfect example. There are a lot of people up there that raise a lot more money than the job pays. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, I, in my mind, that shouldn't be allowed. I mean, if you're going to, you're going to need money to run, sure. Mm-hmm. But you, you should, you know, it should be no more than what the job pays. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for a Speaker of the House to have a couple hundred thousand dollars in his campaign account. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Okay. And so I always figure if that's the case, you know, why? Why do you need that much money? Because you probably plan on getting it back. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So second quote. Government should focus on building a strong business climate rather than trying to manage the economy. Absolutely. Okay. The private sector, if people can make money and think they can make money doing things, they'll do them. Mm-hmm. All and, right. And we shouldn't, the government shouldn't stand in the way of 
that kind of stuff. I mean, we, we're always, you know, 48, 49 in business climate around here. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a business owner, I know it's a pain in the ass to, yeah. you know, it's, it's just a lot of stuff that you have to do and a lot of hoops you have to jump through. I mean, just to have a, uh, you know, you got a business, it's 500 mm-hmm. bucks, right? To get you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, just well, just to have a Yeah, it's like four four hundred something. Yeah. 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 Just to be able to, to have, have an L L C. Yeah. Yeah. And then and that you're supposed to get if you make more than like six hundred dollars a year in revenue, which is like like really? Like you're gonna want that tax money, you know? <laughs> like you're gonna yeah. want thirty bucks if I if I do six hundred dollars in sale sales, you know, you're gonna want like thirty percent or whatever of and if I make a hundred dollars profit, you're gonna want thirty bucks. Like Come on, <laughs> it's crazy, you know. Right. There, there are definitely ways the state could get out of the way mm-hmm. and help people out. Oh, and that would help people out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Just staying out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's almost it's not really like laissez affair, you know, sort of thing. I remember that from high school, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, where the government should be completely out of business. I definitely think there's a place where this quote perfectly sums up that, you know, where they can help guide, but not interfere, you know? Uh, but yeah. So third quote, we must reverse the trend of state government absorbing our decision-making and empower local communities and individuals. You're talking to the right guy there, man. I, I mentioned that I was on the Borough Council when we were fighting this power plant. Mm-hmm. In the state of Rhode Island, there's an appointed board, the Energy Facility Siting Board, three members. Um, one is the head of the DOT, I mean the D, um, that Department of Environmental Management, mm-hmm. and then the other two are appointed by the governor. Those three people make the decision on when a power plant gets built or not, mm-hmm. regardless of where it is in the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean town virtually has no say zero the only way we were able to beat that or keep that power plant from being built uh was to prove that it wasn't needed mm-hmm. and after four years and probably almost four and a half million dollars um <laughs> they would get to the point where the siding board and no matter how much maybe gina Ramondo would have wanted it built mm-hmm. or whoever else um there was no way that they could approve it because, you know, the town, with the experts and the lawyers that we hired and all the data we proved, that there was no need for this power plant to be where it was. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, that was a lack of local control. And it was very upsetting to the people yeah. in town. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's a, a lot to be said right there. Um, the other thing that happened during that about local control is um, this power plant um, potential power plant it had no water source, so um, they kept looking. You know, they looked down here. I think with the Narians and Indian tribe, they looked in Woonsocket. They looked in Fall River. Um, finally, the mayor of Johnston offered to sell them water. This plant was going to need somewhere in the neighborhood if it was running on gas of about fifty tanker trucks a day wow. of water. Um, when it was running on oil or diesel fuel which it was going to be allowed to do for 60 days a year it was going to need about 700 trucks a day worth of water Hmm. right a little inefficient yeah right (laughs) so the biggest problem i saw with all of that is how can a town like johnston sell their water that comes from the situ reservoir that 
majority of the state, you know, uses, mm-hmm. um, out, of, out of town to an out-of-town company. It was like a bad precedent, and it's still something that I testify on when I go up there and they have meetings about this, is if you think about it, if they were allowed to do that, then what's to prevent East Providence now from selling to, you know, say, Pepsi, bottling plant in Massachusetts somewhere, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, Cumberland selling to Ocean Spray mm-hmm. out of state. You know, and before you know it, there's no water in the reservoir, Mm-hmm. For the people that need it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's still a standing there as a possibility of something that could happen. Yep. Um, so lack of local control is uh, it's a huge issue with me. Interesting. So I think that perfectly ties into like some some energy questions. You know, what are your views on renewable energies, and do you think they have a place, or do you think you know they're? Oh, I absolutely think they have a place. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. Um, my brother-in-law is. Um, his name's Dr. James Bell. He designed and built the cameras that are on the Mars rovers. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah he's a pretty smart fella. Yeah. Right? So he teaches in Arizona, but he taught up at Cornell for years. So there was, uh, I think it was when my nephew graduated. We had a party up there, and we're all sitting around the campfire one night. This is probably like about 12 years ago, maybe mm-hmm. 12, 13 years ago. And I got a, you know, a lot of brain power sitting around me, and I bring up, that question you just asked mm-hmm. and it was basically focused on solar i mean a lot of these people were at the time designing those solar panels to keep that those Mars rovers running and yep. whatnot yep and um <laughs> this is so funny at 12 13 years ago they were like geez we're about at the limit of what we're going to be able to get out of this mm-hmm. okay so now we can fast forward to this past summer and i'm sitting around with almost the same crowd mm-hmm. uh down in wisconsin on the beach and um, that subject comes up again, and they're like, oh, we're making leaps and bounds, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So um, I think, and I had read this once years ago, that in the future, we'll have like a three-by-three three panel on the side of your house that'll power your whole house. Power, mm-hmm. You know, your car will be plugged into it, and it'll power your whole house. Um, so if we ever get to that point, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. I think what stands in the way of that is the people that um, you know run the gas company and the you know, yeah. oil company. And, yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I'm all for cleaner energy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of wind. Yeah. Um, I think that's uh, ugly. Yeah. On top of which, it costs that most of those most of those wind towers will never produce enough electricity. To make up for the energy it took to build it. Yeah. You know, so why stop with that? Mm-hmm. I think there's potential with um, with the uh, tide and wave technology. Okay. I think that'd be I think that'd be very helpful here. Yeah. Um, here in Rhode Island, as opposed to that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the other thing is, you know, it's such a shame too. We have in New England. We have all the cheap power in the planet right across the border in Canada. Cheap hydropower. Mm-hmm. And Massachusetts and Vermont won't let the lines run through their states right now to reach us. Hmm. So if we could ever get to that point, yeah. you know, yep. that'd be great. Yeah. But again, that goes back to, um, I think it's mostly a money thing. And if you look at like... Um, even right here in the you know state of Rhode Island, National Grid got bought out by, 
uh, they call it Rhode Island Energy, but it's actually Pennsylvania Power and Lighting. Um, so they have to pay for that purchase, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, electricity rates are going to go up. They got to pay to improve the infrastructure so that we can plug in our cars down the road and our mm-hmm. lawnmowers and everything else. They want us to be plugging in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, we're all going to pay for that, and it's a shame because there are a lot of people that are not going to be able to afford it. Obviously, it's going to be a tough winter, I think, this year. Mm. Um, I think we're trying to transition as a country too quickly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, listen, technological advancements, I think, are always great. Right. Right. Nobody's nobody's saying that, hey, no, we shouldn't be using solar. No, we shouldn't be using cleaner energy. I think the process of getting there and how it is used is the real argument. Correct. You know, because, I mean, technology is always advancing. Like, you look at an iPhone from five years ago, you know, people are using them. They're like, why do you have a five-year-old iPhone? It's the same thing with solar panels. Correct. Sure, the phone works, but the processor is a lot slower. You can't do as much with the phone, and it's just not as advanced. And when you're doing something as important as powering your house, that should be of top priority. You want the best technology for it. And when technology is advancing as much as it, as it is, you know, within five years, you got to replace solar panels every five years, the amount of money that's going to cost. And then you put them on houses, right? Let's say somebody doesn't want the solar panels on their house. Then nobody's going to want to buy that house, you know? So it's there's, there's definitely pros and cons right now. But I think that they found a way where solar panels didn't necessarily have to be removed but could be upgraded you know, sort of like how, I mean, an engine swap in a car is quite complicated, but something where it's just unplug and plug in, you know, where they can take the old parts, upgrade them, reuse like, them. Yeah, like replacing that light. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like something along those lines, I think that a lot of people will be more game into using it because... Um, it's just right now, it's just not as practical. It's just like EVs. It's the same thing. Nobody's saying, hey, you know, we don't want to have cleaner cars. We don't want to drive cleaner vehicles. But, hey, when you think about the energy concerns that powering all these electric cars has, like, it's going to be worse for the environment. Yeah. You and, know? And just building that car. Yeah, exactly. Getting People don't realize that. material for the batteries. And, you know, and... There was a test on like a Chevy Malibu. They they compared a Chevy Malibu that was completely built in Detroit or in Michigan or whatever in the United States and a Tesla Model S, right? And sure, the Tesla Model S is assembled in the United States, but the nickel, the lithium, all those different, you know, materials that go into building a battery of such capacity and, and mass come from all over the world. And they have to be put on giant boats that are not electric powered (laughs) to go across the ocean you know um excuse me and i think they said that you would have to drive a tesla model s for five years to be in on an even playing field with how much it takes to produce that compared to a chevy malibu you know and and then that's not even counting the energy costs or takes to charge the vehicle Correct. So when you tie that in, it's even longer than that. Yeah. And uh, you can't recycle the batteries. You can't reuse them. So if we start producing millions upon millions of EVs, hey, where are they going to be? What are we going to do with the batteries? Because guess what? People are going to get in accidents. People are not going to want the cars anymore. 
the cars is cars are going to break it happens there's lemons so what's going to happen with these batteries that we can't use they're going to catch on fire and burn up yeah it's not like we can just throw them in the johnson landfill you know (laughs) so i mean i think i think uh, we need to come up with more efficient ways of recycling and reusing these uh um you know clean energies the, the other thing that never comes up with that too is those cars are a lot heavier. Mm. So you got a car carrier that can take, you know, eight or nine normal cars, can only take five or six now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, the new Hummer EV, 9,000 pounds. Road. Right. 9,000 pounds for the new Hummer EV. And it's, and it's a truck. It's like the same size as like a Ram 1500, but it's 9,000 pounds. Even the new F 150 Lightning is. 7,000 pounds, you know? Yeah, roll that into somebody at 50 miles an hour. You know what I mean? <laughs> there won't be somebody after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I'm all for tech. I love technology. You know, I have a 3 printing company. Yeah. I love technology. I think it's the coolest thing. I love new iPhones. I love new MacBooks. I love it. Technology interests me. But I'm not going to let my interests outweigh, you know, what the facts are. You know, and I think people get lost in in the headlines. You know, it's 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 sure EVs are great on paper, but when you start getting into it, things need to change and be better. You know, it just the technology needs to improve even more. I think you're right. I think that we're moving a little bit too quickly when it comes to that. You know, I will comment on on simple things like EVs and renewable energies not not the little bit more controversial things right. but you, you, you know what um when we were dealing with that power plant up in barville one of the things that um one of the things that was helping to prove the lack of a need for a new power plant up there mm-hmm. is um something you don't even think about but like you have led lights in here instead of fluorescent lights mm-hmm. so every time that happens it's that much less electricity needs yeah. to be used um, every time somebody puts a new dryer or a new washer or appliance in their house, it's saving electricity, so it's that much less. And that was surprisingly a huge amount of why we didn't need mm-hmm. new gas-powered fire, gas-fired power plant up there. Because mm-hmm. the technology is going to just keep manifesting itself, and so will... Um, so will the technology to store the you know solar power and whatnot? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. But Absolutely. I th- I think that um, yeah I think we should uh, not give up on the gas and oil so quick though. I mean we have probably got twenty five, thirty, forty years before we can you know yeah, write I mean, that we've all off. Been relying on it for so long, right? You know. So yeah, I'm not against technology. I'm not against advancements. I think you're right. Just needs to slow down a little bit so that we can catch up with the technology. Right. And people can afford it. Yeah, that's huge. It's it's a reality that people don't want to face. Um, but yeah, so why don't we pivot back to a little bit, you know, small business stuff? You know, sure. since you had had your own small business, and you know, what what things do you think the state could improve on? You know, other than like the LLC, you know, incorporation fees, things like that that could support small business better. Cause I, I think 98% of business within the state of Rhode Island are under small business. Yeah. You know, so what, what is, what would you do for that? I guess there's a few things I could do. Yeah. Um, one, we could look at the taxes. Um, 
one of the big things was get rid of the truck dolls. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see that go away forever. Mm-hmm. Um, that was insane. Because um, that was just going to, and it still could, you know, expand um, to where we're getting charged on our cars. Uh, I think that, that really needed to go. Because I was seeing, it was surprising, I drive up 102 every day to go to work. So uh, most mornings, I don't know, from the truck stop, I, you know, exit five, up to Chapachet, you mm-hmm. know, because I go that far, um, I'd run into somewhere between maybe three and a half a dozen trailer trucks out of 102, mm-hmm. avoiding those tolls, right? Yeah. So... Well, that's what the assumption was that they were avoiding the tolls. Yeah. Uh, so they're beating the heck out of a road that does, you know, not designed to carry yeah. that kind of traffic. Um, but since the tolls got stopped, I was thinking, I was telling somebody this the other day. I haven't seen a truck on that road, you know, from the truck stop north in weeks. Wow. Uh, so, you know, that says a lot right there mm-hmm. on something that you could do to help small business in the mm-hmm. state. Um, I think we could do something with, uh, you know, electricity. That's a power. I mean, that's for small business. Even some of the bigger business, like Torre and, you know, uh, Electric Boat. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we could do something to help them, you know, lower their costs. What was the biggest setback when you had your own business from, uh, you know, from... Uh, a fiscal standpoint on that had to do with 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 was it taxes or was it was it the process of incorporating your business or something along no, those that, lines? I mean that was that's all. So that wasn't too difficult. Yeah. You know, I mean, it sounds this is gonna sound crazy. Um, you know what the biggest problem with me was that it took me a few, probably a better part of a year before I got this under control, is uh, paying my sales tax. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're we're collecting sales tax, yeah, right? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, and if you're doing, you know, a firm on a sales, that could be a substantial amount of money, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think it was the twentieth of the month. Your sales tax from the previous month yep, was twentieth. Yeah, I I laugh because I relate to that statement. Right. So then, um, you know, yeah, you, you mail them in a check, right? I mean, you're a small business. You might not have it on the nineteenth, but you'll have mm-hmm. it on the twentieth. So you mail a check. Or I even had. Uh, one of my uh, salesmen would take the check personally, like the next day, up to to pay the bill, mm-hmm. and you get whacked with a ten percent penalty from word go. You know, for yeah. you know being at one day wait, boom, ten yep. percent. Yeah. So I mean, if you get oh my, you know, thirty grand for yeah. the month, I mean that's three thousand dollar fine. Yeah, like, just being a day late, a dollar short, you know. Yeah. So I think there's probably a way, especially with the technology we have now, that you can break that out right from the sale, mm-hmm. and the state could get it, you know, boom that minute. That would help the state out tremendously, mm-hmm. and then the business owner isn't putting money aside. Because it is, you know, it's the state's money. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, I mean, it's in your checkbook, so you end up spending it sometimes because, yeah. you know, shit happens. They do have an online portal well, I that I use. Know. Testing, testing. Can you just say quick T- test? Test, test. Yeah, it's just, like, really slow. I don't know why. All right.
I just keep trying. All right. So what we were just talking about. Um, I'm talking about sales tax. Yes, yeah, sales tax. Right. Okay. It's no different than um, the registry. You should be able to register your car online mm-hmm. or your equipment online. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing that used to crack me up too about the truck toll. Recording now. Testing, testing. Test. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. We had a little cut there, but we were talking about sales tax um, and uh, how. What would you do to help improve, you know, small businesses in Rhode Island or help help make the state support them better? Well, I, again, I think um, I think the technology is probably there that you could almost real time have the sales tax deposited right mm-hmm. into the state's bank account mm-hmm. and then take that that I don't know, temptation chore, whatever you want to call it, away from the business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy not to use that money when you, you know, you know. I think one of the other things that never get mentioned is uh, we put these t- truck tolls up uh, because those are the tr- those are the vehicles that do the most damage on the road. Well, those vehicles also pay the most for their registrations. Mm-hmm. I mean, to register a you know ten wheel dump truck is about a thousand bucks, and then you got to get an overweight permit in most cases, and that's a, like, you know, another. 1500 mm-hmm. and then your diesel fuel tax is a lot more than you know gas tax so i mean those trucks uh, i kind of feel those businesses are already paying mm-hmm. their share i think um <clears throat> i think the state should uh i think we should like we talked about earlier just uh get a little more hands off and i think that helps businesses you know just cut the red tape per se or mm-hmm. cut the hoops that people have to jump through to do things um and i mean that's uh, a lot of that is you know under local control i guess is mm-hmm. like a better word you know zoning and whatnot um but as a state i think uh you know there, there's uh, opportunities where um the state could help with uh training for uh, employees. I mean, that was a constant battle all summer long. And I mean, the restaurants are closing a lot during the summer. Uh, the ice cream places were closing a lot because they had no mm-hmm. help. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those things, I mean, I keep wondering how do these people survive that don't work? You know, where do you get your money? Um, maybe if we start giving them the money, they go to work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so that might help. Uh, I think there is uh, maybe a collaboration between uh, the, s- the schools. Uh, maybe we could find some money for the Department of Ed for certain um, vocational trades, as opposed to you know everybody's not going to be a brain surgeon. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely right. And you can make you can make good money installing solar panels. Yeah, um, as opposed to designing them. Right. Yeah. Um, Sometimes so, more money. Yeah, right. Exactly right. Uh, you can make a lot more money being a plumber, mm-hmm. you know, or electrician. Yeah. Um, that was that was a problem twenty years ago. The builders didn't well worrying about that. Even today, I mean, there's not a lot of people that are there's not a lot of eighteen and twenty year old kids that are going to work as mm-hmm. a laborer, you know, for twelve dollars an hour, and then you know, four or five years from now, they're off on their own doing their own thing. I mean, yeah. I I know so many kids. Well, so many people, they're not kids anymore, but um, guys, I guess, that I went to school with or known over the years that started working for somebody just like that as a laborer, you know, whether it was as a mason or a framer or a plasterer or something like that. And now they own their own business. 
Uh, and they make really, really good money. You know, they have a six-figure income. Um, and if they followed their you know, initial trajectory or what, what was expected of them, they never would have gotten there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a lot we could do there. Yeah. Especially um, after this uh, pandemic. Um, I kind of feel like every kid in the state lost a couple of years of schooling. Well, yeah, that's what they say. I think it was like estimates of four to five years over the two years. So it's going to take four to five years for them to, to recover, back. to get right. back to normal standards. And I believe that. My wife's a school teacher. I, yep. you know, and I really believe that. It really, really hurt the kids. Not, not, you know, not, not even so much as, you know, the, the classroom study or, you know, doing the work on the computer at home, but more being in a social, you know, situation where you can learn those skills that are necessary to be able to go out and live in the real world. You mm-hmm. know? So I, I think there are ways that uh, the state could maybe help that way. Um, but I'll have to see when we get there, if, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's shift gears a little bit. So... Obviously, there's a housing crisis going on in the state of Rhode Island, and it, it is in other states as well. Uh, but the average cost of a house right now, I think, is approximately four hundred five thousand uh, dollars, and renting, uh, uh, you know, rents monthly rents are insanely expensive. You know, it might as well buy a house with how right. expensive they are. Right, it's a mortgage payment. Yeah. So, do you do you think there's anything that would work to help lower the average cost of a house in Rhode Island and, and make make housing more accessible for more people i don't know about lowering the average cost of a house in rhode island um that exists right now mm-hmm. um it's kind of funny you bring that up there are two towns i believe in the state of rhode island right now that have met their 10 percent affordable housing uh number mm-hmm. one believe it or not is block island i think they were the first um and one of the things they did is they built a plat of houses and then i think they raffled them off maybe you know like you put your name in and, yeah you know and um i don't I, I believe there are a lot of restrictions there but you know there were people that own homes on block island that they paid you know less than two hundred thousand for yeah wow um, yeah and and the other second town that did uh met that 10 percent threshold was barville believe it or not um, and one of the things that Barville, again, this was private money coming in. Um, one of the things that we did uh, up in Barville was um, we utilized uh, with NeighborWorks uh, a lot of the older property. Um, if you ever get a chance to go up there, uh, you go where in downtown Harrisville. We had a very blighted mill property there, and now it's um, housing. Uh, there's a library. There's a pavilion. It's just a beautiful place. You've got a nice waterfall. Uh, the assembly theaters across the street. I mean, it's really, mm-hmm. I mean, what it was 10 years ago to what it is today is just amazing. Um, and then uh, one of the things we really focused on while I was on the council was revitalizing downtown Pasco. And um, you take a ride up there now, uh, well once. um taken over a lot of space we got a, a microbrewery and they've grown so much that they've taken almost uh you know they started with one unit in the property now i think they have all the whole property all six units maybe mm-hmm. um and it's really uh you know we did some as a town we did some work on the park uh, up the road so if you stand at and i did this you stand up at one end of pasco and look down the hill and again it's like night and day uh, there's a lot of you know a fair amount of affordable housing in there 
Um, but it comes down to also when, you know, um, I mean, Burrowville was fortunate that they had, well, I don't want to say fortunate, but they had those blighted properties that we could utilize to um, make them, you know, affordable condos and whatnot. Um, but private money also has to be able to make money doing that kind of stuff. So if private money thinks they can do it, make money doing it, mm-hmm. no matter how little it might be, they just got to, you know, turn a profit, they'll be there doing it. And that's, you know, kind of what happened in Barville. So I think, um, and throughout the state, there are a fair amount of bladed properties like that, or mill buildings, or factory buildings that, you know, we could work to, you know, turn those into affordable living units for people. Um, maybe even do something like what Block Island did in certain places. Um, that might not be a bad idea. Um, I think the thing that really has to happen for a lot of that to take place is people have to not be afraid of having somebody that doesn't make as much money. You move into your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, that holds a lot of that back. You know? mm-hmm. um, I think down in like Charleston and South Kingdom, you know, down in the District 36, uh, there's not a whole lot that could be done without you know getting the towns involved. And well, they just built those 55 and older condos. I don't know if those are counted as low income no, or I, affordable I, housing over in Shannock Village. Yeah. They built those, and I think they're building one on the other side of Route One over near like like near Green Hill in South Kingstown, but in Charlestown. I think there's some sort of development going on over well, there. There's I'm not one sure. in South Kingston, but again, those are those are four hundred thousand dollar little homes. Yeah, know? I mean, affordable, yes. I don't know. I mean, I think I just recently heard the affordable housing number for Charlestown. So every town has a different number, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, is like five hundred and six thousand dollars. It's crazy. Right. Absolutely. That's an affordable number in Charlestown. I have now, access th- to the Nash and NMLS uh, through my realtor's license. And uh, I remember, so my parents bought their house in 2003. When it was originally built in 1991, it sold for $165,000. And now it's worth, they didn't buy it in 1990, but now it's worth over $500,000. Like that much of a gap, I mean, 30 years, I, it's not really a, a very long time, but it's amount of time where you see that, you know, you know triple, quadruple in yeah. value. The rule of thumb always was it was uh, real estate should double in value every ten years was the rule of thumb years ago. Okay, okay, I didn't know that, but now I do. But you know what? If that's the case, now yeah. I mean, again, this was years ago. Um, then your paycheck should keep up with that too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And your paycheck doesn't double every ten years. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. I mean, you're lucky your paycheck went up over ten years. Yeah. You know. Um. So. I had Ashley Kalis on running for governor. She has quite a uh, interesting plan of affordable housing in the state. She said she thinks that she could build ten thousand units a year. Do you think that's a feasible option, or is it even possible to um, build that many units? Well, I don't. I I can't speak for Ashley. I haven't seen this plan. You know, yeah. I have to, I have well, to, it was. I, she was talking about it in the debates on Tuesday I, night. I'd have to be. You know, see the details. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Understood. Um, understood. I don't think the state could build 10,000. It's a lot. Years. Well, I don't think the state should be involved in building 10,000. You know, like, mm-hmm. We're not developers. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what the state, the state is. In the, the state isn't there to be in business. Mm-hmm. Somebody else could come in, and the state could grease the wheels for them mm-hmm. to build 10,000. But 
I, I don't see that happening. Uh, 10,000, I think, um, maybe over a four-year term, maybe. Yeah. But every year, I mean, we don't get 10,000 houses up a year. Mm-hmm. You know, and we don't do 10,000 units now. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I can't, I don't know. Yeah, it's quite... I mean, it's ambitious for sure, and it sounds like a great idea. And, uh, you know, if the details work, obviously, let's go for it. But I um, I think that's where the devil's going to be is in the details. Yeah. Well, I mean, not only is there a labor shortage still, there's there's shortage for parts, like small parts. It's not necessarily the wood. It's the nails. It's the door handles. Right. It's the pipes. All those things that you don't really think about until you actually go to build a house and you're like, oh, well, uh, nope, sorry, we can't put in the sheetrock yet because we don't have any wiring, we don't have any piping. Can't do that until that gets here. You know, we're not going to pull up the sheetrock, tear it down, and put it back up again. You know, like it's those small things no, that know. people don't think about. I've been I've been working since we moved down here almost to Charlestown. Um, we wanted to. We had no garage on our house, so we wanted to put a garage on the house. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I didn't think this was going to be a real hassle, right? But mm-hmm. it turned into quite the experience down in Charlestown. I had yeah. to hire a surveyor. I had to hire an architect just yeah. to try to get a building permit and yeah. an engineer. I mean, we're talking about a garage. You know? I'm yeah. not building something on the ocean. Yeah. Um, so now, almost, it'll be two years in December, and I'm almost at the point where I have to side it now. The garage is up, but it's taken this long to get a permit mm-hmm. and, you know, get somebody there to do the foundation and then get somebody there to do the framing. They wait for the trusses and then, you know, it's, it's a wait for the garage doors was six weeks. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it takes a while. It's not. Yeah. And, and then it goes back to, you know, helping businesses. Well, you know, it's all well and good. You call you call somebody that's in the, the plastering business or drywall business right now. You're not going to see them for months. They're not showing up anytime soon. Mm-hmm. You might be able to get a roofer pretty quick, um, but everything else—plumber, electrician—I mean, that, those things are. You know, those guys are all booked out. Mm-hmm. Not, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we're going to start winding down, um, and it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, no problem. Thanks. Yeah. And I ask this last question to every guest. Uh, Shoot. Yeah, no, that's okay. It so it's a simple question. If you could leave one piece of advice, you know, to the listener, it could be life, business, politics, anything. Because now, you know, if you experience with all three, uh, what piece of advice would it be? Um, I'd probably go with something that my wife has always told me. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's if you're trying to make a decision and it's only about the money, it's probably the wrong decision. Okay. Very cool. Thank you very much for sharing that advice. No, no problem. Um, yeah. So, yeah, thank you very much. I'm, I was very excited to have you on, and uh, I think you'd be a worthy successor of Blake Philippi if you get elected. So I wish you the best of luck thank in you. the election. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, do you have any social media you, you'd like to give a shout-out or anything like that? Well, um, I, I do have a Facebook page, okay. Pachico for Rep. Okay. Um, I do have a private Facebook page, you know, John mm-hmm. F. Pacheco. You can, you know, like either one of them. Yep. Um, I do have, um, if you go to my uh, email, I do have a constant contact uh, email list that we have that, you know, there's a few thousand emails on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, we blast something out. Well, it's not a little more so now because it's getting close to the election time. But we've been putting something out once a week. 
So um, you can go there, and that's uh, uh, rep at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, thank you very much uh, for coming again. It's been a great conversation, and thank you all for tuning in to today's episode, and I will catch you in the next one.